I did just lose a deal yesterday. It was a tech firm and they're backed by a private equity firm. And, and the CEO wants to create a culture, wanted to go to our building to create a culture and bring people back. But the PE firm's like, no, let's just have everyone for home purely to save cost. If you're trying to, you cannot build a culture from someone's home. I'm 100% with you. You cannot. I'll die on that hill. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fort Podcast. My name is Chris Powers and I want to thank you for joining me today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to. And if on Apple, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating and review. Last but not least, you can find all these episodes on YouTube. Thank you so much again for joining me and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Fort Capital. Are you a commercial real estate investment broker or anyone out there with an off-market class B industrial deal between 15 and $100 million? Fort Capital offers industry-leading incentives, including a bonus, the ability to co-invest, and exclusive partner trips for those that close deals with us. Join Fort Capital's deal incentive program today to be eligible for these incentives and more by going to www.fortcapitallp.com backslash connect. If you're like me, you like to wake up and get your daily dose of reading. Uh, for me, a lot of that has to do with commercial real estate because of the industry that we're in at Fort Capital. And the news is important, but if you're a busy real estate professional like me, you don't have time to skim through the dozens of dry and ad-filled media outlets each day. That's why I read CRE Daily, a free email newsletter that cuts through the clutter and delivers concise, witty commentary on the latest trends and transactions in commercial real estate. I discovered CRE Daily a few months ago, and it's an email I actually look forward to getting each morning. If you're a real estate professional, you owe it to yourself to try it out and stay on top of what's happening in the industry in only five minutes. To give their free daily newsletter a try, visit CREdaily.com. That's CREdaily.com. For anyone that tried buying a car over the last couple of years, it was not an easy thing to do. I just got a car uh, and had one of the best experiences I've ever had with Frank Kent Cadillac here in Fort Worth, Texas. When you think of Fort Worth businesses, it's hard to not think of Frank Kent Cadillac. Well, that's because they've been around for 87 years. And with history like that, they know a thing or two about how to treat their clients. Like no dealer markups over MSRP. The price on the sticker is the price you pay. So when you're in the market for a new vehicle, check them out. New inventory is arriving daily from the XT4, 5 and 6 to the CT4 and 5 Blackwings with CPO rates. There is always something in store at fkcadillac.com. That's fkcadillac.com. Frank Kent Cadillac, community-driven, locally different since 1935. Sarah, you are a badass, uh, and I have a lot of cool stuff I want to talk to today. Um, you've obviously had an awesome career in real estate. Um, you have a family. You've started a business, and so I kind of want to cover it all today. You down? I love it. All right. Let's just kind of start out with you. Kind of, we just you just said something. I wrote it down. You said I did a lot of crazy things to get here. Yes. You're a powerhouse in real estate. So let's just start there. How did you get this career started? <laughs> I mean, what, a, what a beginning. First, being called a badass. Thank you. That um, That is a big compliment um, to me. Yeah, you are. 
So I thought about, I'm like, luckily we have a full hour. I didn't know how much we detail. We have 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Okay. Uh, I have a crazy path and it all leads into why I started the company and all the things. So I've, I've kind of got to, I've got to bring it back to where I came from, if, if, if that's okay. Let's do it. Um, and I don't want to talk monopolized conversation, so interject. But um, I grew up in Ohio. Uh, my family grew up in a small town, a couple hours away from Columbus. And then my my parents met. They had me young. And my dad um, was one of the first to go to college, paid his way, and he became an endodontist. And I always tell people, um, Texas is just a totally different business mindset. In the Midwest, it's very much you go to school, you get educated, and then you follow that profession. So whether that's, you know, doctor, lawyer, dentist, nurse, it's it's very much a kind of a services, you, you, you go to school and then um, you get educated. So I always knew I had a lifestyle that I wanted at a very early age. I joke, my mom, I'm one of four. My mom was like, you're my most expensive child. So you need to, <laughs> you need to find a way to go make this happen for yourself. Um, so I went to school, um, pre-med. I thought I needed, I wanted to be a doctor. I thought that was the, the, the path to success. And even in high school, I took off, um, I was in a young professionals program. I left, um, school and I shadowed a pediatrician and a cardiologist. And at the end of your, you know, working, you had to give, um, a presentation on cardiology or, you know, whatever you, whatever you shadowed. And I gave a 20 minute presentation on cardiology and everyone was like, wow, that was amazing. You need, you need to be a cardiologist. You'd be a great cardiologist. <laughs> and someone should have said "Time out." You know, you need to do something yeah. where you're presenting. So I went to school um, and I took a course called BMZ, which is biology, microbiology, and zoology. They called it the weed out course and it successfully <laughs> weeded me out. Um, I had to dissect a cat. I cried. I remember calling my mother and saying, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I have issues. We don't have to be a doctor. And that was, I never, never thought I would be anything else. Um, but because I did not do well my first semester, I didn't get into the business school right away. Um, so kind of a serendipitous thing. I went to school with um, Wally Zerbiak. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Okay. And Ben Roethlisberger, who was, um, I think he was a year, either a year or two behind me. But I, my roommates were, went to high school with him. So I kind of knew him, not well, but before. So our sports teams were really good at that time. And I always worked in college. I, I, I've been working since a very, very young age. Yeah. And I worked for our, um, our like club sports and I was introduced to our sports marketing um, director and he asked me if I would intern with him. So I started working um, for the Miami University Sports. That's where I went to school in Oxford, Ohio. And um, I switched my major to basically, I think it was sports. I can't even remember because it, it was so worthless in my career. <laughs> but sports, maybe management with a minor in marketing. And the Cincinnati Bengals came on our campus and recruited five of us. And so we thought, gosh, we we're getting this amazing opportunity in the NFL. But we, um, it's amazing. We were interns who um, cold called individual ticket sales. Mm. So, and the Bengals were maybe three and 13 at the time. So I would call people and say, hey, this is Sarah Hinckley with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I mean, they were laughing at me. Not even group sales. I was calling individuals to buy tickets. That's <laughs> how, yes, that's the, the Bengals were desperate at that moment. But from there, I learned I did not, um, I, I wanted to work for a team that was in season and I wanted to live on the beach because I, I figured I'd live in a city 
and I was going to take my last summer to um, to to do both of those things. So I went to the Cape Cod Baseball League. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. For our listeners, it's oh, yeah. where college baseball players basically go to get drafted. It's the number one summer league. It's a wood bat league. And that's where basically pros just come and, and draft um, college players. So I went to the Cape Cod, um, never never lived there, lived, or never had even visited there, went to Chatham, lived there, took my best friend with me, and um, the internship was unpaid. And my day job was I was a nanny uh, for a family that actually lived, um, I, I don't know if they still live there, but they lived in South Lake. Mm. And they owned a company called Bars, B-A-R-S-E, and they were a jewelry wholesaling company. Okay. And they, um, at the end of the summer, said, can you come back next year and be our nanny? And I said, no, I'm graduating college. I've got to like start my life. And they're like, well, why don't you come to Texas and work for us, help us with our kids, and then you can do one more summer. And I said, okay. Um, I don't know why, but I did. And I drove from Ohio to Dallas, um, side unseen, never stepped foot in Texas, and worked for them and loved it. I actually, it's funny because I'm in Fort Worth right now. I would I spent a lot of time in Fort Worth and a lot of time in Dallas, but I was I had a pull towards Dallas. Anyways, I went um, back one more summer with the league. At the end of that summer, I decided I did not want to work in sports. It was very underpaid, a lot of hours. It wasn't really kind of what I thought it was. And I hate to say this because it sounds so vain, but I, I knew I wanted to I wanted to make money. I wanted to have freedom. Um, so I moved to Dallas without a job um, in. This was October of 2003, and I didn't know anybody. Um, I remember as I was walking out the door, my mom was kind of like, what are you doing? And I said, <laughs> don't worry, I'll figure it out. But I had um, $4,000, and in college, $4,000 is kind of a lot. But when you move to a city and you pay rent and you don't have a job, it's, it's not. Um, so my, I, my first job here was at 24-Hour Fitness. Okay. On Royal and 75. Okay. And I sold memberships. Okay. Which was easier to sell than Bengal tickets? Easier to sell than the Bengals. Fair enough. But also one of the hardest sales because it's face to face and they taught you that you have 10 minutes and if that person leaves, you're never going to see them again. So it was just engaging and learning why they wanted to. And, And people had different motivations. They were scared, you know, they wanted to change their life, whatever. Um, but I told myself, I have 90 days to do this. It was a commission-only job. Um, and it was, it was probably the best sales training I ever had. And I said, um, on, I, I'll give myself, because I was college educating, you know, I thought I'm, I should be doing something bigger. But like maybe day 87, someone came in to buy a membership and they had worked at this company and she was talking about how much growth they had and they were hiring. And I said, tell me about it. And I asked for the manager's number. So I called I called him. And granted, I don't know anybody in Dallas. And um, I got an interview. It was for, it was at the time, it was for Allegiance Telecom. Which, and they hired me. And two days later, they were purchased by XO Communications. Um, so I had a month that I had to hit my quota. <laughs> and because every month they had quota. And um, they're firing people uh, left and right. And luckily, I, I stayed on. But that's where I learned a couple of things. I had a, a monthly quota, and um, I, there was a woman there that was really successful. I haven't seen her since I've worked there. But I, I went to her and said, what do you do? And she said, I network. 
I said, tell me about that. Because <laughs> we, we would be graded on how many times we call people. We would have to walk in businesses. I mean, it was a true cold calling. And I, I mean, it was in um, IT, which was, yeah. I, I hated. And um, so I, I, I became pretty successful at that at a young age. I think I was 23 and always hit quota. And, and, um, and then, I, but I learned from that, that I wanted to be in a business that people respected. I wanted to be respected because I was kind of the bottom calling on IT directors or CEOs or whoever. And I wanted to have um, unlimited potential. I was at a level at the time, I think maybe like a senior account executive, and they capped your income for some reason. It was kind of like you had a, there was a regional manager and a sales manager and the manager. And, and so my level was capped and that was discouraging. And um, so I, um, well, actually I got recruited out of my job. This is, uh, there's a lot of stories here. <laughs> I was recruited out of my job to do medical sales. And I took that again, thinking that medical might be my, my path. Um, and then they ended up, <laughs> Um, buying another company and transitioning my role out. So I only had a month there. So I said, okay, time out. And I took um, a month off. I studied for the LSAT. I took that because I thought what I do now is what attorneys do. So I, I, they are rainmakers, some, yeah. and they negotiate for a living. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. So I took the LSAT. I got maybe a little bit above a national average. I applied all over, but because of my BMZ course and my poor grades my freshman year, I didn't get into like SMU, UT. I got into a school back in Ohio. Um, I was considering it, but I got cold feet about moving back to the cold. And I started really, I was starting to get more ingrained into Dallas and Texas. And um, I used to call on people like me and when I was at my former at XO and they would tell me who was moving into buildings. So after I took the LSAT, I went back to my job knowing it was maybe a year before I decided what I wanted to do. And um, someone was like, you know, you should consider real estate. You would be good at this. And I said, okay. And so I was debating law school or real estate. And I was talking to a commercial real estate attorney. She was a female. And she said, if I did it all over again, I think I'd just go into real estate. She said, not that you can take my law degree away, but I, I think I would do that. So I was debating, do I go to law school, come out $150,000 in debt, or see if I can make it in real estate. And um, I was very immature at the time. I did not do my research on commercial real estate. And I took the first thing that came to me, which I always advise young people not to do. Okay. And I um, took a job at a small, small, very small shop. Um, with a guy, he was a great guy. He was a kind of a land broker. And then he started developing. Um, and he was had another woman there that was a broker. And they were basically like, okay, go be a broker. So I had my real estate license and a desk, but I did not have insurance, co-star. I didn't really have mentorship, no draw, no salary, nothing. And um, I just was like, okay. Um, so I did a number of odds and end things in those couple years to get me through that time. But my first deal ever was a nail salon in Carrollton that I represented and put them in there. Um, about three months in, I'd realized I'd made a mistake that I needed to be at a bigger platform because I needed to learn. So I spent all my time networking and trying to, I made my job to get a job. I mean, I would say breakfast, lunch, happy hour to get to more of established. So um, 
that's and in that time when you say the crazy things i um i used to throw parties for this um guy he owned several bars in um uptown <laughs> and we would charge per head and then he would give me a percentage of profits yeah um i lived in a 550 square foot like studio apartment I and mean, it was a one bedroom but it was so tiny and yeah. i lived there until i was 30. i kept my overhead extremely low yeah. and all i've just kept investing and saving so that eventually i could get to where i wanted to be but um i found an opportunity transwestern at the time had just picked up the leasing assignment for bank of america plaza which is the largest office building in dallas and this was kind of before downtown dallas is it is what it is today it was probably 80 percent leased <clears throat> it was before haynes and boone moved out and they were looking for someone to split their time to do leasing and tenant rep and that was my first opportunity where i worked for a bigger platform and i got really great mentorship i'm still very close with um one of the um my senior brokers his, his name is sanders thompson um but over time uh, asset management changed i kind of became the lead on the building um and um someone left i'm doing a lot of talking so you can interject but um someone had left and then and and my um company at the time put another person above me on the building without asking the client or kind of just telling the client that they were doing this instead of saying hey you know what are you thinking um and the client called me at 11 o'clock that night and said make a list of the companies you want to go work for and this was that okay so let me i'm giving giving you timing this was in just after 08. okay okay i'm trying to think about the timing i think we were the, we we were halfway through 09. and you had been in the industry how long at this point i probably officially got in 06. okay so i moved in 03. i had my yeah lsat doing sales um and I, so I was watching all these people just make a lot of money. I mean, it was 07, you think about, I mean, you were, yeah. um, you're younger than me, but 07 was kind of a big run up. And then obviously the collapse of 08. So I got over to Transwestern in 07, I think, I think at the end of 06. And so I had um, a little bit of time there and then 08, it was hard. So there were no buildings trading from 08 to 2008, 2009, probably into 10 because of just the capital market situation. So um, opportunities are created a lot of times for brokers when movement happens. People move, um, ownership changes. So when they said, make a list of the companies you want to go work for, um, there this was the first time there was an uh, like a pitching opportunity in a while. So it was very attractive. And it's a 1.8 million square foot assignment. So um, I think at the time, 10 companies. So this was before a lot of mergers. There was three boutique companies. Cousins was still in existence. So 10. So I kind of, inter I got to see, um, I, I was basically recruited by 10 firms. And they kind of showed me, well, okay, if you came over, it was kind of understood that I'd go with the building. Um, pitches happened. I wasn't in the pitches, but um, it was narrowed down to three. Stream, Peloton, and Cousins, was before Cousins was purchased by Cushman. And when I met the guys, uh, T.D. Briggs and Joel Pussmuller that owned Peloton, Peloton's since been sold, I mean, I knew that's where I wanted to be. I, I, I had made the decision almost that I wanted to go there with or without the building. 
Um, and this was, it was a very stressful time because Transwestern was trying to keep the business. It was, it was very, I was 28 and it was an awkward position to be in because I, you know, I wanted to go with my client. Um, so that, well, that's when I went over to Peloton and that was when I really, really had true, true, true mentorship. And I worked with two guys that were, were building a business. Um, they had been in business at that time, six years. So I'm, I've been in business for five. So I kind of understand where they are. Um, and then we, I mean, we really, we grew that thing. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of the credit, but, um, over time I, I grew my own personal business when I became the head of new business. They opened multiple cities in Texas, service lines went from more just leasing to leasing, property management, construction management, asset management, you know, tenor up a, a true full service boutique. And, and we had a big, um, from 13 to probably 16. I mean, we were a lot of growth and a lot of wins and really upping our portfolio of clients and being more institutional and using air quotes, um, safe. Yeah. Cause that's what you hear a lot. You know, I want the safety of of a bigger company. So, um, I, I, wa I watched, I helped those guys make decisions. I watched what they went through. Um, and I started thinking, but I do this. I, I kind of want to, I mean, this would be fun. I would want to own a business. And, um, so take it back to my personal life. Um, I was now I'm fast forwarding to, I was 33 and I went to Africa on a mission trip and with one of the owners of, um, Peloton and his family and a couple other people that we worked with. And if you've been, have you been to Africa? I have not. Okay. It's, I've been to South Africa. I take that back. I've been to Cape Town. Uh, that's a big time on my list. Yeah. Um, we went first and did a safari, which was incredible. And then we went into, um, we, we was with a, a group called Family Legacy. And it was just so eye-opening and a game changer. And just, I mean, if you have any doubt, if God exists, and I'm sorry to make this a religious thing, you go to Africa and you're, there's just no question. Yeah. Um, between the people and just the way wildlife is fascinating, you know, this this bird is this color to hide from this predator. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I came home. I had been kind of shuffling around in churches. I didn't I didn't grow up going to church, and I was not baptized as a child because my parents, um, my dad joined the Navy to pay for dental school. And they told them that we would we would relocate and they relocated us to Japan. So my brother was actually born in Japan, lived on a naval base and just didn't have it. My two younger sisters, they they were baptized. Um, so I came back, decided to join a church. I met with Paul Rasmussen, who is our senior minister at Holland Park Methodist, and he is amazing. He's touched my life in so many ways. But I kind of went to him. I had a meeting with him and I had a lot of questions about Christianity and faith and because there were some things I learned in Africa that I was I was confused about. He had the most simple way to explain Christianity to me that I wish I tape recorded and I could play back every day. Uh, but he was that I'd really like it if you were a member of our church. And, and I said, okay, I'd love to join. He goes, well, have you been baptized? And I said, I haven't. He goes, well, we can do it two ways. We can do it publicly or we can do it privately. We can do it in my office. And I said, I, I think I want to do it publicly. Mm. Um, so we set a date. It was December 9th of 2013. It was an ice storm. But um, I turned 34 November 15th, 2034, or 2013. And 34 was always my, was my number. Um, I was a huge NBA fan as a child, <laughs> which, you know. Charles Barkley, baby. Charles Barkley was my guy. I don't know why. I think it's just sheer 
That was a good pick because he's still awesome. He's, he's, he's just so awesome funny. in a different way now. And, um, yeah, he's a lot of fun, but he was just relentless. You know, he yeah. wasn't like the most naturally talented, but he's up there with the greatest because of his hustle. And I didn't know that at the time, but I just liked him. So 34 was my basketball number. Or my, you know, my email was there. He's like 34. Everything was 34, 34. Um, but I turned 34 and two weeks later I got baptized. And then I read um, this book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners have have yeah. read. And that was kind of a game changer for me because I will say, and I know we're going to touch on this, I struggled in my early 30s being as what, what was I was tagged an aggressive female. But after reading this book, it was like, okay, God made me this way for a reason. And I always thought as a Christian, you were supposed to be, you know, volunteering in soup kitchens and just giving your time and going to church. And that's that's what a Christian means. But really, it's giving your God-given talents and giving it to the world, whether that's Charles Barkley as a basketball player, whether that's you, you know, buying industrial real estate and having a podcast, whether that's me being aggressive. Yeah. So I kind of had this piece that this is who I am. Um, that was that was in December. And then in January, my I, my boss asked me um, to open up the Houston office for Peloton. And if you recall, this was the beginning of 14. Houston was on fire. They were, it was becoming really institutionally safe. It was a port city, both office and industrial. Energy was on a high. And Dallas was jealous of Houston at the time. And I, that, lit this flame in me. I said, um, I would love more than anything to go build. And I thought being a female entrepreneur, I'm one of the few. So we kind of went that course. Um, and he, he also was talking to another person down there. So it kind of wasn't really clear. Is it me? Is it him? Is it me? Is it him? Um, the uncertain, I don't, I don't, I don't do very well with uncertainty. Um, but my life was kind of coming together. I I decided to freeze my eggs. I bought a house. I'd gotten a dog. I've always, always, always wanted to be a mother. Um, so things fell through with this other person he was talking to in Houston. And they kind of came back to me and they're like, hey, you've got two choices. Do you want to go to Houston? And Houston was starting to crater because of the time it took to figure this out. Yeah. And it cratered really. I hate, I'm going to be Houston listeners. It didn't crater, but it, it had a rough spot. Um, this was... It did. September of 14. Yeah. And um, they said, you want to stay here and grow this company in Dallas? Or um, do you want to, you know, go to Houston? And so I was kind of debating between the two. And I'd, I'd bought a house. And, you know, I've always now had friends and, and a network here. And in an organization I'm real involved with called Trek, I was having a drink with someone. He's a debt broker. And I was telling him the story. And he, and he looked at me and he goes, well, you can't go to Houston. And I go, why? And he goes, you're their second choice. And it just, it was so blunt. And I said, you're right. I go, I should just open up my own company here. And he goes, that's exactly what you should go do. Oh. I know. And um, <laughs> that moment, I was obviously 34 years old. I kind of, I mean, I put it on the back burner because you talk yourself out of anything scary. And um, anyways, I, I just, I decided to stay in Dallas. I doubled down on my personal business double down trying to help them grow and, and we really did we traveled all over and told the story it was a great it was a great story and it was a lot of faith in that story too and then then I started just obsessing obsessing over going on my own in my head and there's some things that um led me to it but in the beginning of 17 I prayed every day and I said 
give me a sign. God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. And I got a sign that I I needed to go. And that's when fear takes over anytime you're about to take a huge leap of faith. Um, but I, I, I did it. Um, and I think the hardest thing though, I'm, I'm telling you the whole story. You've asked yeah. me one question, um, but I figure <laughs> we'll get this out of the way. Um, the hardest thing about, um, starting a company is what are you going to name it? Because that, what you call your company, is just like naming a child that forever will impact the trajectory of their, their lives. And, um, I remember my mom was like, what about stream? Mm, taken. What about edge? Taken. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, and and I could have easily called it, you know, Hinkley Commercial or something named after myself, but I wanted it to be not about me, more about what we're doing. Um, so I remember I was with a friend and I said, Well, what about 34 commercial? She's like, I like that. And she said, What what does it mean? I said, Well, it just to me it means God's plan. Cause when I was 34, it that's when it all kind of came together for me. And She's like, I like that. And and I went and I looked, 34.com was available, 34 commercial was not taken. All these things just started opening up. And um I had to complete there, I got some great advice from a client that I was talking to about um maybe doing this. And she was like, Don't, don't do when you're when you leave your job, be ready to be ready to go. Don't take this time. Cause I thought about traveling a little bit. So I kind of spent my last I'm still very good friends with with the owner. So if they listen to this, they will not be offended. But I spent my last six months there preparing for 34. Yeah. Um, and so that's was five years ago this month that I left. And now we've been five years in business. That's incredible. I know. So it's like it's a it's if you look at the timeline, it's here, it's there. It's it's a lot of failures to yeah. figure out what, why, how, all the things. Um, a lot of risk taking, but a, a lot of um I always, I always had my end goal in mind and I, I mean, I'm not there. It's not the end. It's still a journey, but I did a lot of things to support myself so I could be put myself in a position later, um, where I had freedom. So I, I say again, where I started, you're a complete badass. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's, I took a few notes. There's just some things I want to unpack there. The first sure. is, uh, which I'm, I would imagine this has kind of stayed with you. What did you learn selling gym memberships that that if somebody's in real estate, like what did you learn that's just transferable to basically any type of sales or anything yeah. you do? Like, could you kind of highlight it on that? Well, um, the the it, it taught me how to talk to an individual. Yeah, because it's an individual. You know, I can I can call you, Chris, and say I'd like to do business with Fort, and you could blame it on your CFO or CEO or whatever. But if you're asking an individual to give their money for this it's it's personal yeah and nobody likes to be sold i don't like to be sold even though i i'm a client of many many people so it 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 i think well i think people that are in sales they have an inherent like unidentifiable gift but it taught me how to relate to people find out why they're here and then take like the fear out of it because even though it sounds silly to, for a gym membership, I mean, some people might be embarrassed or, you know, I'm here because I'm 50 pounds overweight and I don't really want to admit it, but you're looking at me. Yeah. So it was the ability to talk to people, ease their fears and and just like, let's be people. And not, even though I was so broke, I didn't know how I was going to pay my electrical bill um, and I needed the sale. I, um, I tried not to, if you don't make it about you, 
and you make it about them. Yeah. That's a and, and and that's a lesson everybody needs to learn. Um, because if you make it about you, it's just hard. One of my mentors, John, always tells me, like if I'm struggling in a relationship or a friendship mm -hmm. or something at work and I explain to him what's going on, he'll always come back to me and he's like, dude, you're trying to get from this relationship. You're not giving into this relationship. He's like, go back to whatever you're doing and figure out what you can give to it rather than what you're getting. Because as yeah. soon as it turns to like, what am I trying to get out of this? Yes. It's where you start to tailspin. Correct. And that's. I mean, that's been my hardest lesson in my life is obviously if you're listening to me, you can probably tell that I'm very type A and I couldn't like, and I hate the word control freak, but you're I a am, rainmaker. I, yeah, but I, I want, I want this. And so I'm going to make it happen. And you, you, a lot of it is surrendering to the process and the timing and the, and that's a lot of what 34 means is like, you have to just, there is a ultimate plan for you, whether you believe in God, the trees, the universe, whoever. It's it's there. It's already written, and if you force it, sometimes you have to listen to those sides of like, okay, it's over here. But yeah. when it's you in mind, life is harder. You said that you had gone to a, a small firm, realized that wasn't a great uh, decision. You needed more training, really. Mm -hmm. Like, what is good training when you're getting started? Like, and then you also said, don't take your first job. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like. What should I be thinking if I'm getting into this industry? Like, what does good training look like? And what is something they should be thinking about if they're going to take a job? And this is real estate specific, correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I often think that the easiest, um, so there's no barrier to entry into real estate. Yeah. It's all, there's no class you can take. There's no school you can go to. That like, okay, I'm qualified for this. It's relationship driven. It's hustle. And it's a lot of grit. Yeah. Um, so I think when I said that don't take your first, the the something that I, I talk to to young people all the time. I, one of my things was because it was so hard for me, I I promised myself that I'd always pay it back. So I I, I talk talk to a lot of young people and mentor so many. But um sometimes the easiest offer that just comes and you're like, oh, you're just tempted to take it is yeah. if it's really easy, there's probably a reason. Mm. Um I always tell people it takes six months to get a job in the industry. Like mm. Someone told me that, and I remember thinking, oh, six months, but it does because you and and you really need to identify the personality fit. So, I mean, real estate is so um, all encompassing. I mean, there's there's a different product types: multifamily, office, industrial, and retail. Then there's the leasing side, the tenant rep side, the equity side, the brokerage side. Then there's architecture, there's construction. I mean, <laughs> there's planning. there's millions of people in this. Well, I shouldn't say millions. There's hundreds of thousands of people in Dallas and Fort Worth that say that they're in commercial real estate. <laughs> and so I think when you're, you, they, they, it's true, yeah. um, that you have to, you when you're trying to get in, you, you're meeting with, it's, I almost compare it to Rush, uh, like yeah. Greek. You kind of find your tribe. So when you're meeting with people, there's people that you just like click with, like this this is who I want. Uh, but you also have to look for, when, and when you, for the training, um, a lot of our careers based on reputation and the decisions we make and the people we associate with. So you wanna be with good people because sadly, there are some people that have, have made mistakes and it follow, follows them or a bad decision 20 years into their career, mm. you know, taking a fee outside of their company or, or whatever. I mean, I remember there was one person and something happened in, in 1984 when I was literally four years old, but that I knew that about that person because their reputation stays with them. So you really got to, you got to 
um, think about who is giving, who's teaching you and who you're learning from. And then the training is, is, is a lot of self-motivation, but you have to be, um, you have to, you're, you have to be self-motivated. There's the commercial real estate is not a, a okay, I check in at eight. And my boss is going to tell me everything that I do today. You have to watch and observe and then take the time to enrich your own career. They have resources now that I didn't have. They're yeah. a guy from my ALC class, which I can talk about later, which is, was my leadership program, started um, CRE analyst. And um, one of the guys in my office has taken it and then he TA'd it in, uh, twice. At his age, being five years in the business, what he knows versus what I knew, it's hands down yeah. so different. So, I mean, I, I leaned on like, CCIM, I got my CCIM designation. That kind of taught me the math behind real estate because uh, real estate's a lot of trial by fire. You learn and you learn a lot by messing up. I mean, I think my biggest lessons have been by the mistakes I've made. Oh, yeah. But the, um, it's really hard. There's not an actually like a training. Like, okay, I'm going to go to training for a week. Some of the, um, like Eastill, they have a training out in LA, but you're learning Argus model. I mean, you're actually learning a physical thing. But to be in brokerage when you're learning how to talk to a client, the vernacular, the players, the people. The only way to do that is to immerse yourself yeah. into the market. And so the biggest thing is who am I associating myself with? Yeah. And I always, um, someone said it to me, uh, they said, I say either go big or go small. Regional players are harder because they're they're competing with the big, big boys, the CBs, the JLLs. And then, but the small, the entrepreneur, like a, like a 34, there's several examples or you know, Fort Capital, you're you're principal led, and you're you're learning from like the principles. So um, I think small or big is it's. I would go either way, and it just how much, like how much are you willing to take on, bite off one? You know, some people want a little bit of a soft landing before they get in, and yeah. some people want to just jump right in. Yep. All right, I want to talk about uh, Bay of A Tower. Yeah. 1.8 million square feet. <laughs> uh, they're going to be switching companies. And you've been on the building, what, two years? Yes. So so I want you to give a master class here for a second of what does somebody do in two years to gain such trust with an owner? Because you're only 28. And I'm not saying that's yeah. that's old, but I'm also not saying that's young. What did you do? And then I wanted to get a little more into that story. That's an interest. That seemed like a big pivotal moment. It, w it was very interesting. So if I back up um, the company, the client, they still own it. But at the time they were, they were stationed in Florida and there's uh, two gentlemen that were on the, they were the principals of the ownership group. The, the um, A German billionaire owns it. He is a second generation. I think it, it might be controlled by the third generation now. But the two gentlemen were in their 60s. And I think they had a forced retirement at 65. One retired before the other. And they were um, my asset managers. And I, I remember uh, we we had a huge marketing budget. It was, uh, I think, $200,000. That's a lot. Per you year? don't see that. You don't see that anymore. Because, um, okay, so you have to, it used to be 100. When they bought it, it was 100% lease. It was Arthur Anderson before that blew up. Haynes and Boone was, um, which was... Uh, Gosh, well, they were like two hundred and fifty thousand. They were huge, a huge, huge law firm. Moved to Victory. Ross Perot took them. They've since now moved to Harwood, or moving. Um, so we had for the first time huge vacancies, and um, so they were really wanted to reinvest in, and, and they didn't reinvest in the asset, but they wanted to. Um, they wanted to really market the, the property, and um, so 
I recall that we put this whole um, marketing plan together. You know, we want to have this party. We want to focus here. Here's how the best spend of your money. And the meeting was starting, say it was two o'clock on a Tuesday and my senior brokers weren't there. And I'm sitting with these two guys and we're waiting and and I was just like, okay, I'm fine. I'll present it. So <laughs> I presented all their work and then my my senior people walked in maybe 20 minutes later, but we were kind of done. And at the end, I remember Ray, because a lot of a lot of commercial real estate is you really have to you really have to be able to believe in yourself. I remember him saying, I think she's gonna be really good one day. And I I mean, I was living in my five hundred square foot apartment, broke and scared. And I remember that being my first little bit of confidence. Um, so I ended up earning trust and then they retired and I, and then two new people came in and they, the, the company relocated their headquarters to Chicago. So they're two Midwesterners. We had a lot in common. I, we just clicked and, um, they, one of them really did teach me a lot because he understood I was young and I was rough around the edges and there were some things I didn't know. But he knew I, I had the the hustle and, and it was my only assignment. So what's funny was it was my mostly seeing um, people have a, a portfolio and you spread kind of your risk. This was my because I was doing remember I was doing tenant rep as well. Um, so he he we kind of hit it off and then another person came in, but he came to me. He said, why, why do we have tenant rep brokers leasing our building? He's like, I've never seen this before. I was like, well, the former two like that. They thought that they had direct tenant relations and um he didn't, they didn't, they didn't want that. They wanted, they wanted me just to be focused on the landlord side. They didn't want any conflicts. And so, um, my, my senior partner, um, just focused on tenor rep. And so they asked, um, me to bring on someone senior so that someone was guiding me. Um, and so I, I asked a woman in our office and I, I we can say names, I guess, cause people are, will listen to the industry, but it was Kim Butler, who's now at Hall. So she and I started working together and I started helping on her portfolio and she was advising me, but then she left. And that's when that that happened. So um they they liked me and they wanted me, but they knew I needed uh, I needed guidance because I don't I didn't have the experience. Um so that's when they opened it up to the market and they tested the market. And be, being new asset managers, getting to know the city, it was their opportunity to go meet all the talent in town and hear different ideas. Um, so there was a mutually beneficial thing. Transwestern at the time did get an opportunity to keep it, but ultimately they had decided at Peloton. But I will say, I after that little bit of compliment I got from from Ray um, of saying I think she could be good, I remember I remember always telling myself, well, if I was in charge, I'd do it this way. If I would, if 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 it was me, and I kept kind of putting myself in the position to make decisions, and um, I just. I just, that's who I am. I'm a firstborn. I'm, I, I take the lead and I kind of just started thinking that way. And then I really think thoughts become things. And I eventually got the opportunity to take the lead. And so I, I took over, even though, um, when Peloton came, obviously my partner, he was, he's, he's 22 years old. Joel was my partner and he was, they obviously wanted his opinion, but I was kind of guiding guiding the way with the with the messaging and the chasing of the tenants and the broker relationships. But that building I How mean, many it, times has it changed hands? It hasn't. It's still the same. It's 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 or not not ownership. Oh, I'm leasing. talking about leasing. Like um when I so I got off of it when I was this whole Houston um when I was gonna go to Houston and um 
the person that took over is still leasing it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it doesn't change very often. No. And it's a extremely, so it doesn't have the benefit of downtown Dallas. That area is, is hard. And just the, there's a flight to quality. It's a huge building. It's not the most efficient, but it's extremely well maintained. So everything I, everything I learned about operations of a building came from an owner that puts, because some people put leasing first because they want to make money. This one, he, I mean, Germans run a very tight ship. Yeah. You could, I could go literally put food on the boiler and eat off of it. It was that clean. I mean, it was immaculate. So, and my, all my RFPs were a minimum of 30,000 square feet. So I was like, learn, most people learn by cutting their teeth on little, I was learning by, by huge important assignments. So the, the knowledge that I got from that building was incredible. And I say this in the in a loving way. It's hard. It's probably the hardest leasing assignment in Dallas because it's huge. And you think about it, you're like, I just did a ten thousand square foot deal. Awesome. Okay, that's point oh 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 one of the building. You know, doesn't move the needle much. But it is also in a an area of town that was right before Uptown became what Uptown was. And mm. all I mean, we lost tenants to Uptown. Um, eventually, Jackson Walker went up. I mean, we were losing big tenants. So you had to hustle and chase and drag people. So that was always my, that's how I learned. I, 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 now I'm kind of on more iconic assets that it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but I, it garners more attention because it's the bright, shiny penny. Yeah. But I was on, I was like, dra you know, that's how I learned. So I learned how to hustle because it was harder. Yeah. And I also think I, I learned in a down market. I, to the young people listening, Everyone's always afraid. Oh, I mean, I, that was such a bad time. Perfect. The best time to learn is when it's hard. Yep. I think the people that learn when it's easy, it's bad habits form. Yep. Because you just think, oh, this is how it is. No, it's more. I mean, next year, it's not. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. <laughs> that, what you said, just that like bit of confidence, um, which I think if you look over most careers or most lives, it's like these little shots of confidence that right. you get along the way. I remember we had never done like a, deal over 10 million and we asked one of our mentors who have done like a five we're like what is it like to do a, a 10 million dollar deal he's like well what was it like to do a five yeah. he's like you're pretty good at that right and he was just like just add a zero to it mm -hmm. and i when when you said that about how it changed your clock that was a moment i'll always remember i walked out that day and i was like oh yeah like that's all i needed i needed somebody to tell me and they told it to me in a way at the perfect time that I didn't immediately go do it, but it's kind of like what you said. Somebody just telling you, like, you kind of got the goods. Yeah. Changed a whole new trajectory of where you were headed. Well, exactly. And then the the power of your mind, it's it's once oh, yeah. once TD and Joel taught me the way I, I just realized my opportunities were unlimited. And that's how you have to think, especially if you start a business. Like I remember because um, uh, I was seeking a lot of advice before starting a business, which you should. I remember I was listening to someone speak on a panel and she had started a business and she goes, if anyone ever wants to start a business, call me. I'll, I'll tell you about it. So I called her <laughs> and we had, um, we had lunch and I said, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to lease class A office right away. You know, I'll be, you know, I'll just be starting out. She goes, well, why won't you be? I said, because I'll, you know, I'm just starting out. She goes, have you ever leased anything but? I said, no. She goes, well, why would you change now? And so she said, you got to keep doing what you're doing. And I think that's because, um, I mean, when, when we go, we're competing head to head with international companies. And I'm like, well, why would this 
why would we hire this person? You have to believe that you can. And it just takes the exact amount of work on a small deal that it does a big deal. So why don't you just do bigger deals? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to spend this section on just kind of the market, mm -hmm. what's going on. Yes. Let's start with what you just said, though. Okay. Let's set the tone and, and then we can get granular into Dallas. But like you're in office. Right. We were both just at YPO together. Yes. yes. Office is a is a fun word right now. Right. And, and really because there's been clear, very distinct winners and there's been a, right. a fundamental shift. So from your perspective, how would you describe the office market today? Well, it's definitely the haves and haves nots. Yeah. So COVID accelerated the trends. There was um, a divide coming regardless of commodity or I would say inconvenient office. Um, you know, what's inconvenient office? Um, parking in a garage that's three blocks away from your building or walking or or um, isolated on an island. Not you can't walk to lunch. Don't have the amenities there. Um, so there's there's always been there. That's that's always happened. But there was a you know, there's a there's a market for low priced real estate. Um, so it would just get um, like if you were a low cost alternative, it usually leased. But now that we're fighting employees to come to the office, we're really fighting with like we're competing. When I say fighting, I mean competing with people working from their homes. They employers really need to offer a, a, a great package. Um, so and, and, and now there's a focus on ESG. So there's the flight to quality is there. COVID absolutely accelerated it. Um, I think going in to next year, so Dallas, Dallas is not going to be hit like the other yeah. other market. I mean, for the first time, I mean, San Francisco, New York, this it's it's San Francisco is really struggling. Um, I know, I, I, but Dallas, keep going. But the, I, we'll, we're yeah, keep we're going. a little insulated in Dallas, yeah. and so the fundamentals are different. We've still got people moving in. We're super diverse. Got the most Fortune 500 headquarters, other than New York. Um, you know, we're not industry specific on, you know, like, and Houston's oil and gas or energy, um, the dependent on energy. You're picking a fight right now. I feel bad. I just really pick up Houston. <laughs> I'm kidding. Or Chicago, insurance, you name it. DC politics, government, yeah, you name it. I always say every city has an identity, yeah. and, and Dallas Fort Worth is, is real estate. Like yeah. the most, um, that's our lifeblood. So. Will office be okay? Yes. Will there be a lot of um, buildings going back to the lenders? Yes. But that is not the class. That's not the class A, beautiful, well built, well leased, you know, blue chip roster buildings. That's you know your standalone suburban, the suburban that's not tied into an office park with you know walking trails and places to eat. So it's it's the has and the has not, but um, I think, and of course I'm biased, but the notion that office is going away is ridiculous. Yeah, and <clears throat> my husband said it in the beginning in 20. He said, "Oh, this is just like 9/11. Everyone was like, no one's ever going to fly again. Airlines are done." I mean, we know that didn't happen. Yeah. So people are scared. I did just lose a deal yesterday um, to uh, it was a it was a tech firm, and they're. Um, backed by a private equity firm and, and it was he was in the ceo wants to create a culture wanted to go to our building um to create a culture and bring people back but the pe firm's like no let's just have everyone for home purely to save cost mm. which 
I mean, if you're trying to, you cannot build a culture from someone's home. I'm 100% with you. You cannot. I'll, I'll die on that hill. Right. But what COVID did is we gave all the power to the employees. And that doesn't work. Um, I'm not, for people listening, if you're an employee, and you don't, it's not saying that you don't have rights and wishes and that leadership doesn't respect that. But you, there, there's leaders for reasons. There's boards of executives for reasons that make decisions because if you have a company of 40,000, you can't take 40,000 opinions. But what we did was there was, everyone was so afraid to like to to mandate you're coming back um, that they would lose talent that they just kind of handed over the keys to the asylum. But now the control is coming back. Hybrid is absolutely here to stay. Oh, it yeah. was ar- already here. But nobody, I mean, we're not, because of technology, we, 25 years ago, you could not work from home. Now you can. But you have to have, there's got to be accountability. There's got to be collaboration. So um, I think people that further invest and get in front of it, get in front of the environmental aspect, they're going to be the winners. But it's just like, it's 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 basic fundamentals. If you invest in your asset and you make, and you create awareness, you're going to do well. But if you're just a one-off buying something and letting your asset not stand with the times, it's not going to do well. Okay. So if I was a, what we're going to talk about the haves, Mm because I think I want to have an interesting discussion there. But if if we're talking about the have nots, I'm a landlord, I got a have not Mm -hmm. and I'm calling the best leasing agent in Dallas. I got, obviously it can go back to the lender, but even the lender is probably like, I don't want this thing because is there even a price for this besides the dirt? What are you telling me? Is anybody, I mean, I know you've positioned yourself on more iconic class A things, but I'm sure you get calls. Yeah. Sarah, I need your help. What can I do? Is the answer like, I don't even know what to tell you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you're asking me uh, twofold. Um, It's, it totally depends. It, 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 where are you located? What, what's your tenant? Are you completely vacant? I'm not in a good spot. I'm in, I'm on desertville. Well, then I would, (laughs) we, we creatively call it adaptive reuse. I think you, I think some people have to get it, get creative. I I think that there's some buildings around the airport that we, we should maybe consider it more of a logistics hub and maybe like, like you talking about the two to three story. Yes. Should it be more because flex is the problem is, is what, 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 what is your basis? So I'm kind of skirting the question because I don't have the exact answer. Yeah. But if I if you have something that's decent and has good bones, I would say you got to double down. You have to have your vacancies ready. Um, COVID has this, has made this phenomenon of no one wants to put their own money into anything, but we want the landlord's money. But for the landlords that are 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 making their vacancies look great and someone can come in and say i can envision this okay i'll take this and it, all i have to do is get a permit because the permitting process especially dallas but really all the cities is so delayed um so reinvesting in your vacancies checking the box on amenities do they have a place to eat do they have a place to park are they safe um like do they feel safe when they park and they're coming to the building all those things if you can like everything that you can control you've got to do that but if your basis is here and you're and and that you ha- we have to you you have to look at it as a math equation because you have to look at your basis. How much money is it going to take? Because construction prices have gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. So um, there might be a situation where going back to the lender is easier and saying I'm going to cut my loss and start over with something fresh. If it's in a fund that has you know um, a diversification of asset, that might be the best bet. 
But if it's, I got to figure this out, it's like, okay, well, we got to control what we can control. Can't move the building. We can't, you know, recreate the highway systems. We can't, you know, control all the retail around it, but we can control what we control. The vacancies have to look great. There's got to be a great tour path. And then you've got to- um, It's a tour path. It's um, what- Oh, how you arrived at the building. What does, the, what are they, what, what is their first thought? Because you only have one first impression. So when they drive up, how do they feel? Mm-hmm. Um, where's their parking spot? What do they see? And so that's where, as a broker, you're so important. Everyone thinks leasing is not important, even though leasing is the fundamental of all real estate. Preach. I mean, it's so ridiculous. We get, we are the bottom of the barrel, but we're the most important. So I've seen it. I When I represent, I've seen it on deals where I represented this law firm and they didn't <laughs> like how the leasing person treated him. And he was like, he was so angry. He was like, I, and he didn't want to go to that building anymore just because of the way he was talked to. Yeah. So controlling what you can control is so important. And then just grinding because there's a market for everything. There's high price, there's low price, there's middle market. You know, I mean, doctors are the worst medicine. I'm not, go- I'm not paying rent and I'm not paying 55 triple net. I'm not doing that. And I'm in real estate. Yeah. So there's a, there's a market for that and showing the tenants the path to create what they want. Yeah. Whether that's open, um, getting people, people back, um, so it's expensive, but if you do it, it's worth it. Yeah. And I think there, I mean, I think there's just going to be a lot of people that are going to go, I don't want to just keep pouring money into this right. deal. The question really is, even if a bank owns it and I'm a bank now going, mm-hmm. Hey, what should I do? Yeah. I guess at some price, the answer is, Hey, reinvest in the building. You can get somebody in here for a dollar a foot a year, um, or you tear it down or, but there's so many of them. Well, I think there's going to be a wave of this stuff. I agree. But those when, in the bank situation, there are people like you and me that yeah. are live and breathe in the market and they take a GP position because that's eventually something that I'm very interested in that can come and know how a neighborhood functions because these banks, they're they're looking at spreadsheets and numbers and not the nuances of a deal. I mean, real estate is just not an Excel sheet. It is. Oh, it's yeah. a personality. It's people. It's. It's psychology. So it's there's going to be a lot of opportunities, especially with like, uh, with a big portfolio. My husband, because he owns real estate, he always is like, I'm going to buy what is too small for them, that they want to focus on these on these big, big boys. And I know that you have a similar business model, but um, let's go buy this, that they're not, that they're too big to focus on. And I can go create value in there. So there's a lot of opportunities like that where we're looking at something like now and going, oh, I never want to be there. But someone smart that comes in, because we Dallas has a lot of really, really talented real estate owners that come in. They've got great equity relationships and they come in and they turn the building around. Yeah. So I think if you look at something struggling, it like someone's what is it? Someone's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah. I mean, that could be just because their basis wasn't great, they're along with the tooth, they need to get rid of it. Um, I mean, there's I could name a million examples of that now of class A and class B or even C that someone has turned and made it. No, I wish I, I wish I would have thought of that. And there's class A and then there's class double A. There, yeah. Well, now because CoStar monopolizes the market, now it's I don't even know what we call it anymore. There's five stars and four stars. Three stars. I so grew what up would be like the crescent? Class, uh, the crescent is a double A. Crescent was like the bell cow of uptown. They were always the leader. But now the new developments, um, granite's going up on a tower. Um, Kaizen just completed the link, which That's, I was, yeah, was a part of um, an amazing building. There's McKinney and Olive is 
Well, so Uptown, there's what are those considered? Um, double A. Okay. Yeah. So in, in leases, that's what we're negotiating, like to be consistent with class double A standards. Okay. I want to focus on that. Okay. Because um, I don't really honestly know a whole lot about it. I just okay. know they're really nice buildings. Right. So I come to you. I'm a developer. Yes. And I'm going to build the next amazing building in Dallas. Right. And I want, first, I want to pick a leasing broker. Right. Why am, what are you telling me at the onset, but while I've got a set of plans that I'm like, okay, I'm going to work with you, obviously track record, everything. Like, are you involved really early on? And that's my preference. Okay. Because. Tell me how you work. Well, the earlier you can get it, the better. Okay. Because, um, like, you know, if you let an architect lead the process, it's going to be really pricey. So A, where are you going to spend the dollars that have the most impact? And B, what are the, like now the people making decisions go from CEO to HR director. Um, so it's, it's, it's a vaster, um, it's a bigger group of people making decisions. It used to be, you can say, where's the CEO's house? Okay, well, we're going to be one of these three buildings. But now it's the, we're really thinking about the people. So just having that constant exposure with tenants and how are they thinking and and they're thinking not just about their producers or their high level executives. They're thinking all the way through how do they recruit, how are they keeping their administrative st um, staff happy. So I would like to be involved from the beginning. Like the link, I actually sold that land. I brokered the land. I represented the former owner and sold it to Kaizen. And then luckily Kaizen asked me to be on their team. So we went from land sale. That doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but from land sale to they were kind and had me involved in picking out the finishes and helping design the building all the way to, to leasing it up. So that would be my preference. That's a lot more work. And, um, you know, we only get paid when things are executed. But you I think you're built you're you set yourself up for more success that way if you get a leasing in. Uh, a leasing expert in early. And on a deal like that, like where is the money being put into? Like, I know it's, I mean, you walk into some of these buildings. I've been into McKinney and all of, mm -hmm. I haven't been into the link, but sounds like I need to. Um, I'll take you through. Let's do it. Is there space still available? I don't need <laughs> yeah, any. But. We just signed a deal yesterday as our last big deal. We have 2,500 square feet and I think 5,000 square feet left. So that's been a big, not all, every lease was signed this year. Is the building done? Yes, it was, it was a delivered, um, November of 21. Where are we in 22? Gosh, time oh. is all merging. But yeah. And um, unbelievable. It's been a fun. That was a fun. Okay. So step. like where, where are people putting the money into these class AA properties? So uh, one of the things as a developer is you got to remove all of your obstacles of saying no, um, okay. especially with how sophisticated our, our market is with brokerage. So it, uh, you... Uptown, you're going to have less options because it's the tightest. And then... So the, the best markets are Uptown, Preston Center, Legacy. And then you've got suburban markets, which are going to have a little bit more options, but um, you're going to focus on where the the amenities are, what the, what everyone, what they're going to see on a tour path, and then what are you putting into their space so that they can kind of just take it over? Are you finishing out the restrooms? What does the ceiling look like? It's, you know, called the base building delivery. Um, so that is, and, and, and some developers skimp, some go all in, which is, which if you want to get the highest rents, this is the way to go. Um, outdoor space, COVID really accelerated that. Everyone wants just a, a way to just get fresh air, even though they might not leave their desk from nine to five, just knowing they have that option. So whether it's patio, um, 
if it's a mixed use, tying in kind of like some green space to the apartments or the retail or whatever the other use is. Um, but uh, fitness, conferencing, lob like the lobby experience, the ability to get coffee, the ability to walk walk to um, restaurants or having key restaurants on site because that's what a lot of office developers do. They just come and um, focus just on the office portion and then the retails and afterthought. I actually learned from my experience, I at least also leased the union and they were retail first, office second because they were retail developers. Um, it was amazing the tenants mind shift because they're like, oh, wow, there's a tom thumb there I can chop. So um, and then the floor plate size, it's endless floor plate size. How efficient are your floors? Um, maximizing the views. What's that? What's how efficient are your floors? Um, so how much of your floor plate is common area okay. versus what is actually usable? So it's rentable versus usable. And obviously tenants want the most rentable but in the calculation of the building measurements, you're often putting amenities in. So it's this push pull of like, well, I want the amenities, but I don't want to, I don't want to pay for it. Yeah. So it's a balance of just maximizing. And that's what the, a great architecture firm can help you help you with. Um, but like the link, for example, they, they hired Boca Powell who did an amazing job and they challenged Boca and they said, we don't want just your typical square. We want to be iconic in the skyline. So we have kind of a, a a curved building, and and originally the tenants are the because the the tenant rep brokers are conditioned basically from hearing feedback from tenants, and they're oh gosh we don't want any curves we want just this perfect box. But Boga did an amazing job; it's super efficient, um, and you can actually really really maximize your space, and you get an architecturally really cool um, office space or and the building in the skyline. So that's. Um, that's one of the, I mean, there's, there's so many things. Um, and you know, the thing about development is nothing's perfect because there's no perfect piece of land right. unless, you know, you've got 50 acres and you're going and creating, but usually if it's urban, you're limited by the site, the ingress, egress, what's around it. Um, so you have to work with what you have and maximize it that way. But people want amenities. They want outdoor space. They want a lot of natural light. Um, yeah, they want, they want a place that, that their employees are like, wow, I want to, this is where I want to be. I don't want to work from home. I want to, I want to come here. And if I, and if I don't come here, I feel like I'm missing out. Where do people waste money? Um, they, okay. Well, it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> a lot of developers would say they waste money on m the marketing of it. Me who's marketing it. I will like dollars there, but there's ways that you can creatively, creatively do that. Um, building too much parking is something everyone's really cognizant of because parking is expensive. And do they do that because they want to do that or because the city makes them do that? No, because the tenants are. So um, we're, we're so reliant on cars here in Texas. And I think, you know, developers on either coast are like, wow, they're way overbuilding parking. And if you ask them, the architects, they think we're overbuilding. It's just, it's, it has to be this number because you want, you want to attract um, great quality credit tenants. And they want to be able to provide parking for all their employees, but you don't want to overbuild it. So there's, if you provide too much parking, I mean, there's always a price point that you're going to, you're going to um, see different tenants. So like call center tenants are not going to be able to afford the, the uptown towers, but the call center tenants need more parking. So you need to provide enough parking to make the tenants have to put out too much so that you're, you know, you don't want to jam people in there. There's a density issue. So parking is a big study. 
that you, um, you know, three per thousand is kind of the magic number. McKinney and all have built to 2.5. Other, I think people are building to two because there's float, there's sick days, and especially if we're having hybrid. I mean, you walk into half these garages, especially suburban garages, and they're not, they're empty. They're empty. <laughs> so you can, you can overspend, and excavating is expensive, but you also don't want, you know, a 20 story garage. Right. So you have to, you have to have the balance there. Yep. When, and real quick on marketing, mm-hmm. like how, what was your marketing? At the link? Yeah. You don't have to, if it's <clears throat> no, private, um, like, is this, is this just like uh marketing being, Hey, throw parties, put out, build a website, throw a flyer. Like what does marketing mean? I would say, so it's different. It, it, uh, I would say pre and post COVID. Okay. So COVID has changed the way we interact. As it's we're much still. Yes, it's harder to get people, which is good, away from their families. Like you really have to do something amazing if they're going to say, "Okay, I'm not going to see my kids tonight to go do this with Sarah and her building or whatever." Um, so you're getting less the the in person, and they they want more of a one on one. So you're not throwing a party and like, you know, 400 of their competitors are all together to come get a $50 gift card. Those days are gone. Um, Kaizen's approach is more, more high touch. So it was a lot of, I mean, they would play golf with brokers. We would go deal specific. Um, Then my experience on the union. So if we went back, we were trying to, we signed our first deal in 15. We started that in 15. So we were competing with um, PWC Tower, which is Park District. So we had a well-known Trammell Crow, MetLife, you know, as good as it gets on Clyde Warren Park, probably considered the best real estate in Dallas versus um, a group out of Arizona, not known off the beaten path, which is now like in the middle of everything um, developer. So we we spent at the time, this was $100,000, which now would probably be $250,000 on a video that said this is what a day and day in your life look like at the union and it was they still have i think you can still go to the union dallas.com and see the video uh, but we literally hired actors and and they uh we filmed them and we i sat in a um a movie production studio it was called greengrass studio and we we built this and it was our selling and that i think that was the first time dallas saw it other markets they're i mean if you go to new york their marketing is unbelievable centers and you know, um, interactive. I mean, you, you can, they probably do virtual reality. We're not there yet. Um, and we're running, we're well in our urban environments where there's less and less land. But, um, I think that is really impactful because then you're taking what our job is always to take the guesswork out of it. They want to know, where am I going to park? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to sit? What are my employees days like? And the more that you can tell that story, especially while you're building it, because Dallas is a, has to see it, touch it, feel it to believe it. Yeah. I think a lot of it is because we're all lineage of really, if you think about it, we're all like ancestors of people that work for Chrome. And we all like all these people that survived the SNL crisis in the 80s when developments were stopping because, you know, banks weren't lending. Now we're, we're trained to be like, I'll believe you when you do it. Right. And so um, creating that story and that sense of place, you know, I mean, Grant obviously has just done an amazing job of that. They've they leased, um, they're about 65% leased to major, major tenants. And that building's, they're excavating. They're, they have, they're not vertical. So the way you tell your story and the the dollars that you spend, I think up front are really, really, really impactful um, because they want to, it's just like anything. You know, if, yeah. you, if you walked into a showroom, you're like, wow. Or if, you know, 
when do you start telling the story? So like, okay, on this, on the link plans are done. Like mm-hmm. when are you able to start leasing? Well, so the link is a, is, is a really unique case because, so we broke around in 19 and we were vertical. So again, the, I believe it when I see it. So it was like, they, they, um, Kaizen did a phenomenal job. They have a great relationship with the group out of Florida. They um, went on a speculative basis, which is it's going to be hard to do for the next couple of years. Um, and no one believed that we were actually, everyone's like, I'll, I'll believe you when you start building. So when we were going vertical, nobody was driving. Our, um, our garage and our thing, we poured our first floor of office, probably summer of 20. Mm. And that building is, there's, six brokerage firms right around there, CB, you know, everybody, that's where everyone drives. You just drive by and you're like, wow, do you see the progress on the link or Rosewood Court, whatever building's being built at the time, but no one saw it. So we were taking videos. I was personally dropping off gifts at brokers' houses, anything like to so, to see it. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of leasing happening at 20. That's when we started um, the tenant, like our, our anchor tenant, I think our tour was in November of, of, of 20. So our lease up was a little bit delayed because of COVID. Oh yeah. But our performance, when we crushed our performance, I think the performance was probably twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars over in rent. Our TI obviously was a little bit higher because construction costs kept up. So it'll end up being a great success story. COVID probably helped us because we were the only ones coming out of the ground, delayed other proposed buildings. Um, so if if it had not been COVID, we would have leased sooner because people would have seen it. But COVID delayed it because um, it's a small site. It's less than an acre and it's not, there's some mixed use around, like the mixed use generally, oh, let me back up. The mixed up or the mixed use um, developments, they usually get their anchor tenant. Okay. Someone that comes and takes a bet. It's usually three, four years before it's delivered. Then there's a lull and then there's activity again because the smaller tenants want to be able to see where they're going the big tenants know they get to control destiny and obviously the first in gets the best deal yeah so nor like on the union we um signed our first lease uh the monday after thanksgiving of 15 i remember that was and then the next one was a month later and that development delivered in the beginning of 18 and if i in was in the a, middle of 18 in the middle of 18 so think about that that's a 3 year Wow. So and then, so it's and so a, that tenant was in the market what three four years yeah, before the, they need to move in right and 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 Dallas is a sophisticated real estate market but if you're talking the big big cities I mean they're waiting you know those you 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 know you hear about the huge tech leases in Austin and different places they're they're way in advance they need a subleasing agent right now if should I call need, him? if you need to, uh, to open an Austin Zuckerberg, office call might, me call. <laughs> my number is on the website he listens to this for <laughs> I, sure I think he does he subscribes. How often does somebody sign a lease three, four years in advance? And by the time it's ready, it's like, this is irrelevant to what we need now. Um, not I, a, I know with law firms and things, it's probably right. easier, but where they outgrow it, or maybe they just take it and go get more space elsewhere. That, I mean, if if you're outgrowing it already, you're in a good position because yeah. your business is very successful. And then you've got leverage to go to another landlord to help you out of that. Um, the when you're the reverse and it's too much and it's a problem, we're seeing a little bit of that now. Obviously, there's a lot of subway space, mostly in the suburban markets because it's the corporations that haven't mandated employees coming back or just or various situations. Um, that that doesn't happen often two years after, but explosive growth is. I mean, we've seen that a lot. Our first tenant at um at the link is actually a Fort Worth based company, PMG, and they oh, yeah. do digital marketing and he's had explosive growth. Um, 
he went from 15,000 square feet thinking he was going to need 25, signed a 50,000 square foot, and then just signed another four for 75. Um, so that's a good problem to have. But you, you, with those big corporations, you have planning, you have like head of HR counting debt. I mean, you're, you're working with an architect so that you're bulletproofing that and you're not having obsolete space. And you're relying on the architects that study all the time. And, and their job is to predict what is the workspace going to be like in three and four and five years. And how long does it take to sign these leases? A long time. <laughs> like a year, a month? I would say from um, tour, sometimes nine months, um, sometimes a year. If you're lucky, like we just that the we just signed McGuire Woods. Um, that was the fat one of the fastest fastest law firm I've ever worked on. We are they I just had a baby, but they toured it when I was at home with the baby, so I wasn't on the initial tour. It was August, but we signed the lease. Whatever, what's what do we know? December first. It was yeah. um, signed it yesterday, and that's fast. Boom, baby! You heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, McGuire Woods. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe you'll you'll scoop Steve Brown with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it takes anywhere from a few months to a year. Mm -hmm. And if you're nine months into a lease and it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. Right. Like it, it, from your perspective, is there a point where you're like, this isn't going to make? Well, so I think that's that's what comes with age and wisdom um, is... So I don't know if you're if you're asking from like a, a broker's perspective, what um, what you end up getting really good in is where to invest your time, um, because we call it chasing rabbits. In the beginning of your career, you just chase rabbits. You're like, oh, it's, it's so exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this direction. And you're not qualifying and you're doing and you're all we have is our time. Um, and there's a rhythm and deals and, and you got to take people for your word. I do think we're shifting because of the age of people that are coming in coming into kind of what I call power or leadership positions, because we had a big, like the, about a 15 year age gap. So my age, people that are like, you know, the head of CB is 41 years old. We're a little bit more open with communication. And so there used to be kind of like a, a hide the ball scenario where, oh, don't tell, like, let's lead everybody on and think that they're, they're all getting the deal. And then all of a sudden we're going to sign and three people are going to be upset. That doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah. It's more like this isn't your deal or you're number two, wait in the wings. So you kind of, we we're, I think communication's a little bit more open yeah. because of just the advancement of people and technology and, and we're, you know, we're not faxing things anymore, you know, <laughs> and just by a choice, if, if, if a, a group is looking at three buildings and two get the no, we always know which one wins. So, um, but there's always like surprises and hurts and, but it usually is because it wasn't meant to be and there's something better coming along the way. But I, so anytime we have a big, you know, loss or we didn't get this or this fell through or something better is waiting around the corner, but you have to, you have to have experience and time and wisdom to know that. And you have to have the resilience to keep going. So on a building like the link, yeah, it's fully leased. Mm -hmm. There's nothing much for you to do for the next few years. Right. Except, is that true? You just well, keep in we, touch with the tenants? Like, what yeah. What do you do once a brand new building is fully leased? Is built. Um, yeah, you, of course, keep the tenant relationships up. And more, once I'm once the lease is signed, they don't really deal with, with me as much. It'll be more of the owner. But there's always, I mean, obviously, we have two more vacancies to fill. Okay. Um, there's tiny, and then they'll get leased. And then, you, pr I mean... For the ownership's sake, I pray that everyone just is great and happy, and there's no subleases that happens. But you never know. I mean, yeah, like like PMG could need five more floors, and I'm so sorry we don't 
we don't have five more floors. I'm sure Kaizen will go build you another building. So there might be yeah. the, the one thing that's consistent about real estate is that nothing's consistent. Change yeah. always happens. So you just maintain relationships and um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a port, um, a portfolio out in Las Colinas that I've, I've been involved with for 14, 13 years. It's 600,000 square feet. It was a hundred percent lease for years. And now we got some space, you just, you know, yeah. things change. A company got bought and Goldman was there. They moved downtown. So you just kind of maintain the relationships, make sure everyone's happy. And then, and when your time's, you obviously you have the relationship with your client. And then when the time comes, you're ready for it. Uh, okay. Last question on sure. leasing office buildings. Yeah. Like we started with uh, B of A tower yes. that is same owner, very little turnover in leasing. Like how does of a of an existing building, what needs to happen for leasing to turn over? Like what's your pitch to people? Okay. Say so like, when... give me your business, baby. <laughs> like, man, I'm telling all my secrets. I hope none of my competitors are listening. <laughs> Um, well, all the office builders are listening. All the all, office owners oh, That's are the flip side of this, this right? Okay, this is it. it. I'm pitching you guys. You're no. pitching the office owners. So usually there has to be an opportunity. You know, yeah. either the building's trading or someone's getting really long in the tooth and they've missed, you know, missed deals or someone moves firms and it opens the door. So there's usually something. Um, and so that's what we evaluate is, okay, where, where's the opportunity? And so there's buildings on the market. I've got great relationship with investment sales brokers. We follow who's buying what. You help people buy. But 34 commercial, I mean, we're principal-led. We're not relying upon anybody but ourselves. We have outstanding marketing. We have great relationships. We hustle. So when you hire us, you 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 get us. And it, like the information isn't coming from a research department for someone that's never done a real estate deal that's you know, evaluating the job growth. I mean, we all all have information. All have access to information, each and every one of us. It's what you do with it that it, it, that counts. Yeah. And I think um, the fact that we don't, I I don't want to grow to grow. Um, I've I've been very strategic about who we associate with, where we invest our time. Culturally, I'm very very slow to hire. Um, you know, COVID slowed me down a little bit, but um, and I was also focusing on getting property management going and the other service lines so that we could be truly compete as a full service and provider. Um, but we're, I mean, we, we work hard. I think that's, that's like, we, we also had to work from home and, and we're dealing with that, but you know what I'm, I'm saying? Yeah. But if you're back, if you're you know getting up, getting dressed and, and every day, I'm not, if you're, whether you take if you're dream big or small, you have to take baby steps to get there. So every day, we, it's just the fundamentals. Yeah. Like, and and we go around every which which building hasn't had success. Where do we need to focus more of our energy? Where do we need to create brand awareness? So it's it's really like a lot of blocking, blocking and tackling, um, and hard work. And and for some reason, people don't want to. I'm not saying my competitors, but just there's been a shift of I think working less hard. I think yeah. young people now value lifestyle over, you know, their paycheck, which is fine, but it's more of you, if you, if you want a certain lifestyle, you're going to have to work for it. Right. Well, your culture is certainly going to, uh, have a lot of you in it. And if it has a lot of you in it, it's going to have the, the rainmaker, Thank you. the, the hustle. All right, let's bring it home on, uh, kind of what you, you said, you, you mentioned just a second ago, you said, I wasn't on a tour cause I just had a baby. You, you, <laughs> you have a family, you're having kids, you're building yes. a business. Yes. 
Um, how do you kind of do it all? Because that is one thing I admire a ton about you. Oh, thank you. People always ask me that. I got a text on the way where her home is in a home tour. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you don't have enough going on. Um, I think when the feelings of being overwhelmed come, there's waves of them. Like, yeah. Am I doing the right thing? You have to, you have to put it, put it away and know that everything you're doing comes a minute and a day at a time. Yeah. I think there's some quote by Abraham Lincoln that says the best thing about the future, it comes a day at a time. So when I get mm. in over my head, like I've bitten off more than I can chew, or I haven't grown my company enough, or oh my gosh, I, you know, something with my kids, I just, okay. Like God, I think God gives you everything that you can handle. There's a reason that I have a lot of children. Um, <laughs> but I went from, I quit my former Peloton single. Um, and in five years, I've gone from zero to five children. I haven't birthed, I've acquired three by marriage. Uh -huh. um, we built a house, we built another business. And if, and we've done a lot in five years. <laughs> and I think if I can do all that in five years and still get enough sleep and be happy and not be, I, I, I can do anything, yeah. but don't, don't let me, <laughs> I, I have a lot of help. Yeah. I have a fantastic nanny. I have a weekend nanny. My assistant helps run my life. So like anything, I think whatever you prioritize, um, my therapist is big on his, he's, he always hits home, God, self, marriage, children, everything else. Yeah. So while my career is a huge part of my identity. And probably before I got married was was my identity, which is good and bad. Oh, yeah. I know that it's not my number one. And when I lean in when I can and I, and I and I surround myself with great, great people. And that's the thing is um is 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 by me letting go of some control and some of the things that I do, I'm giving other people opportunities. Yeah. And I try to um I to do that. But it is, I mean, it is a lot. Sometimes I, I it's a lot. I mean, like I was just saying, you, I have, I have five children and, and just getting ready for Christmas. My sister and I have a spreadsheet. I'm not kidding you. We have a spreadsheet of all the gifts we have to buy. That Santa we, has to buy. Santa has to buy them. But we're in gift exchange. I mean, I also, I have huge families on both sides, the Kenningtons and the Hinkleys. I mean, nieces, nephews. So gift exchange. I've got trainers here. So we have a spreadsheet <laughs> and we started behind last month and wrap, we wrap. I mean, we, we, I am super, super organized and driven. I go to bed at the same time every day. I get up the same time every day. And I think about things. Like I started think. I had a planning meeting in August with my assistant and my husband. I said, okay, we've got Halloween to think about, uh, Caroline's birthday, Christmas. Like we have got to throw our, company Christmas party. What, let's back into what what decisions do we have to make now so that I'm not pulling my hair out in November. So I always, and then as soon as that ends, then I start kid birthdays. So I've got a February birthday, a March birthday, an April birthday, a June birthday, you know, and as a parent, you got to make, that's the one thing you do for them is you make them feel special on their day. So not the one thing that you do many things for them, but I think I just think ahead and I get organized. And when I, when that feeling comes of this is too much, I just, I pray about it and surrender it. And because I, I mean, I did stay home for 10 weeks. I mean, I worked from home when I had the baby, but I had a lot of fear of was I missing out? Was I doing this? And I just kind of surrendered it and prayed to God and said, okay, God, you're, you know, you're in charge of my business and you know where 
I'm supposed to lean in and lean out. And I think surrendering a lot of that control is what enables me to keep going and and, and take on more because I, you know, then I'm volunteering and doing these things. But I also, I've gotten better at saying, at saying no to, to some things. But I do believe my purpose in life is to, I mean, I really am helping others. You know, I'm obviously, I my career is for me, but I'm an example in the market. I am a female that had children late in her life. I have multiple children. I run it. You can do it. Oh, yeah. It's just hard. And it's, um, but I think, you know, being a father and owning a business, and it's hard. Yeah. Even if your wife stays home, I mean, anything worth doing is hard. It's just how are you prioritizing it? And when are you tapping out and saying, okay, this is too much? And I do, I travel. I, I think people think I travel too much, but <laughs> that gives me the fuel and the energy to keep going. Yeah. Is taking those breaks and coming back and being like, because at the end of the day, I'm a competitor in nature and I want to win yeah. always. But too much of that can lead to burnout. For sure. Yeah, I think about it often. It's e- I've said it probably like the third time lately, but it's easier to build a life that you don't want than to build one that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to build a, it is. a good life. I know. Um, but I prayed and prayed for this life. And so sometimes when I think I don't want it, I have to remember this is exactly yeah. <laughs> what I wanted. Because sometimes I'm like, man, I'd love to be back in my old house where I was single, just watching Netflix with my puppy. But um, this is what I wanted. And this is where I wanted to be. And I I sacrificed early for, for later gains. And that's yeah. what I wish people would do more of is when you're 25, you don't need to be rich. You don't need you know, like having money later is great because you have a house to pay for, children to provide for, you know, education. But when you're young, like get it, give it your all because it'll pay you tenfold in 10 years. Yeah. That was always my mentality was, you know, sacrifice now for reward later. Yeah. And I kind of still am and still am that way. But now I'm like, well, when does my reward come? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching middle age, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have forever. But. Entrepreneurs, the reward kind of keeps getting pushed, pushed, and pushed, yeah. and pushed. Keeps you young, though. I, I mean, know it does. You'll work forever. I think, I think working gives you a purpose. And oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I, I love being a mom. I love my children, but I love working yeah. and I love the balance. And we have our routine, and they know, and they know when I'm there and when I'm not, and they love, you know. Well, thanks for being a great example. Oh, I appreciate this that. Is a, I hope this is a lot of fun. Oh, good. I hope people get some value in it. And I'm always available if someone needs some coaching. How can people get in touch uh, with you or your company? So we're actually redoing our website. So I'm hoping this comes out when our website is done. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, 34.com, it's 30 and 4 spelled out. There's a hyphen between all of our contact information's in there. Cool. Um, yeah, we're growing our 34 is our services and then. Um, if we own buildings, it's in a different different entity. But all my information's there. I'm, we'll do round two once she's become yes. the biggest Dallas office owner. Right. <laughs> uh, that'd be fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. Let's do that. Let's put a date out there. I think if you put the date out into the universe, it's... All right. Uh, well, I would say by 2034... There we that, go. That's that's a that's a long date, but I think you could accumulate a lot of office between now and... Right. That's, you have 12 years. I, I like that. I mean, you might we'll put own that uptown by then. <laughs> I do. I just want my. I would love to develop a building at some point. That it's development is a hard, hard, hard sport. It's but a, it's a it's a whip. It's a full. One of my clients said it's a full contact sport. It is. Yeah. And it's getting. It just gets tougher. Yes, it does. Because the does. clients want different stuff. And... Yes. All right. Thank you so much. I I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Of course. 
everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.